0: the air. Good to see everyone this beautiful morning, get ready to get started here, are we up and running? Alright, it's good to see everyone again as I made mention of when we uh, are so glad you're here today, we have a lot that we got going on, uh, we have a business meeting today as well as dinner on the grounds, happy Father's Day to all of our men and I'm uh, glad that you survived the week. And uh, we pray the Lord will bless. We're going to take our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Zechariah, chapter 1 today. This is in line with also Daniel, chapter 11. And uh, it's a continuation. And so I think a lot of times in, in uh, our abilities to understand more, especially when it comes to eschatology, we, are, we need to get beyond dismissing the Old Testament and really spent some time in the Old Testament. I remember when my children were younger that someone uh, asked me one time, they said, do you ever go into the Old Testament? And my kids said, please don't do that because Dad loves the Old Testament. We have a hard time getting out of it. And the reality is, is that the Old Testament defines and clarifies everything that we understand in the New Testament. Don't, don't think that the Lord did away with the Old Testament, but He fulfilled it and it gave us the opportunity to understand it more. We want to go to verse 1, and I'll show you why I classify it as a continuation and in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? and the prophets do they live forever? But my word and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like unto the Lord of hosts, the thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings so hath he dealt with us Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sabbat, and the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah the son of Bachiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were red horses, speckled in white." All right. I want us to begin today by taking a look at Zechariah, and as I stated, it is a continuation of the book of Daniel. What is interesting is that when we begin our studies, especially of prophecy, uh, we a lot of times classify the the division of Old Testament prophets by being major or minor prophets. Now what's interesting, Zechariah has more chapters than the book of Daniel, but Daniel is classified as a major prophet, while Zechariah is classified as a minor prophet, yet the two of them, it's hard to distinguish what we have. As I made mention of, this is a continuation because of what we read in verse 1. Remember this is that Daniel passed after we no longer have any after the first year of Darius's reign, and here we have the second year of Darius's reign, which is where we're going to pick up with Zechariah. Now, I want us to still spend some time here today as we make our studies, and I pray the Lord will continue to bless, but let's go to him in prayer as we begin our days today. Father, again, I want to thank you for your blessings and the opportunity to stand before the congregation today. While we have so many things that we do want to remember, we do ask you, Father, to give us the blessing and an understanding of the things that you are about to impart and that the wisdom that you give to us as well. Help us, dear Father, to know the truth of not only the Scripture, but help us, dear Father, to think upon these things that we might really enjoy, partake, grow from, and learn as well in all that we say and do. Help us, dear Father, to be students of your word. Lord, I know this is that I can spend hours upon your word, and yet, Father, I will seek out someone else to try to explain things to me. And how precious your word is such that this should be the defining book of my library, of my life, of everything that I do, that I might understand the meaning of the words, so that anytime anyone has any questions, they might be able to ask me, and I will be able to continue on with the the discourse of what has been given. So guide and bless, Lord, and help us to understand all things for which in Christ we pray. Amen. So as I begin to take a look at this particular book... I really think that there's a lot that is in the book of Zechariah. Not only that it brings the action of what we see in the book of Daniel to life, but it also leads into the book of Revelation. Now let me show you what I mean by that. Let's go to Revelation, and let's go to chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And notice that in chapter 6 there is a defining moment that I want us to be able to see From the book of Zechariah. Now, understand this: is that we have four images of the of a rider on the uh, horses, and I want us to see what we have in verse one. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder. Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say. Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Remember this is that we just closed the book of Zechariah and there was the red horse that was made mention. And power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And again, this is what we're going to be looking at. And that there should kill one another, and that there should be given him a sword. Now, again, I want us to remember that what we're seeing here in the book of Zechariah is a defining that is going to be occurring between the book of Daniel, chapter 11, and Revelation, chapter 6. So let's go back over now, if you will, to Daniel. And understand this, is that if you read Daniel, chapter 11, Unless you are devoted to really studying Daniel chapter 11, you're going to be lost. And the reason I say that is that there are so many people that are taking Daniel chapter 11, and they're really trying to bring in their ideas into place. Now, I don't want to do that. Uh, really what I want to do is to help us understand the fullness of what we are reading. Now look at verse 1 of Daniel chapter 11. Also in the first year of Darius, the Mede. <clears throat> now understand this, is what I was talking about. We know that Daniel, after Darius's first year, we no longer going to hear that much about Daniel. But notice again that this is a continuation in the book of Zechariah because it goes into the second year of Daniel of Darius the Mede. Now notice what it says. Again, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the four shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength through his riches he shall stir up against the, re- the realm of Grisha. Now, I don't know why I've got a blank screen. Can we see if we can go ahead and let's see if that first one will come up. Um, it, there we go. Let's back up now, if you will, to, uh, to the yellow one. There we go. Now, I want us to think about this. When Daniel first started, he was in the Babylonian Empire. Now, if you take a look at it, many times we fail to remember that the empires that we see kept growing with each conquering king. Now, when we take a look at the Babylonian Empire, notice it went over and towards Turkey. It was in Iraq. It went to Syria, Jordan, Israel, Egypt, and all the way over to what we now know as present-day Iran. That was the beginning of the Babylonian kingdom. But it's amazing to me that when you study these kingdoms, how closely related they really are to what we see today. Now understand this. There's no argument that there are still some other kingdoms that are developing. We have we don't know anything about the United States. We really don't know anything that's going on around northern Europe. We do know that the Germans, which were called the Hun, uh, was having their place, but those were a people that were still in place. We know little of uh, what we would call of Asia today, China, Japan, though there were many kingdoms that were starting to come out in those areas as well. But the focus of God is always going to be here. And here's the reason why. I really believe that when God created... He he created the land in this area but particularly after the flood of Noah the people moved back into this area. And so the focus has always been in two places. Number 1, Babylon and the, and again also Jerusalem. Now, this would be constitute Israel. This in, whole area is called the Fertile Crescent. So all they're trying to now say that man originated down into Africa. We don't know where man originated. Uh, Please understand this. I mean, a lot of times, and I love what Brother Ken Ham said one time. We call this Euphrates River, and if you'll notice, the Tigris is also referred to as uh, as, uh, Hedekal, which are rivers that are made mention of in the book of Genesis, as, you know, one that we have the gold and things like that. But after the flood there was this great separation. And so we had the, uh, the cavity of the earth as we see it today, the land masses and the, the separation, all that happened. So we don't know exactly where man started from, but we do know this, God has focused upon that fertile crescent. And it's interesting, now think about this, how much attention does Huntington get globally? Not a lot. But how much attention does Jerusalem get globally? Do you realize the population of Jerusalem is less than Huntington? It truly is. It is only about 100,000 people, the last count. And that's talking about visitors, that's talking about both uh, the Palestinians, if you will, and the Jews that have now arrived in this area. When we talk about all of Israel, we're talking about this landmass. But reality is is that there's not a lot of attention that should be paid to Jerusalem, and yet it is the focal point, biblically speaking, and let's put it this way, there is also the demand that we focus upon it. Now, the next one that we see is the Mede-Persian Empire. So if you'll go over there, Brother Joe, I'll show you what I'm talking about. With the Mede-Persian Empire, this is the Mede-Persians. Now, you'll notice that you, you can actually see, and the reason I come over here, it's easier for me to transgress, and egress over as well. Here was the part of the Babylonian Empire. It went over to this area, and went right into here, but this was the Babylonian Empire. With the Assyrian, or the Mede-Persian Empire, notice it's now breaching into Greece, it's going on into Egypt, and it's now going all the way over to present-day India. So all of this is the, the total encompassment that we see with the medo persian empire. Now this empire lasted, uh, it's oftentimes called the Medo-Persian, or we call it the Mede-Persian. And it would last a, a good 300 years. That's the one thing that we are not shown in the scriptures, how many years each one of these are going to occur. Daniel is long gone. Please understand this. Daniel has already passed away, and he's long gone. This is going to be during the years of silence that this will extend into. So the 400 years that we know nothing about the overall history, except for what prophecy tells us, all of this is going to occur. Well, notice it said that three kings were going to arise. Now, basically, in those kings, they came in. Each king expanded himself. They became stronger and mightier and wealthier. Now, understand this. There's a lot of wealth that occurs in this area. And already, you begin to see with the Medo-Persians, especially as you see uh, the sending forth of uh, the Cyrus, where he says you can rebuild the temple, Artaxerxes, and so on. All of these things are now going to happen so that you had what we call the feudal system. The, the first example of the feudal system occurred with the Mede Persians. We saw the greater extent of the, of the feudal system when it came to the Roman Empire, especially when you had uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Where do you think they got the idea of the, of the feudal system? It came from this area as well. Following that, go ahead and move up to the next slide, Following that, we see the Grecian Empire. Notice how much further it's expanded. Now, once again, it's going all the way up into Macedonia. It's going all the way over here to the very borderline of India. India was a power. It was a growing power. Why didn't we see Alexander the Great go into here? In fact, there was uh, a situation, if you go back in... uh, I don't recommend everybody go to the BBC or PBS, but literally Alexander the Great was on the river riverfront entering across into India, and here was the Great Indian Army standing there as well. And so that was all that was necessary because already Alexander the Great had conquest over every little bit that he wanted to conquest. And so for that reason he turned back, but all of this land was now taken. So this was taken in, in about 10 years of, of Alexander's life. Can you imagine that ruthlessness that it would take to conquer all of the armies and to become this great Alexander and the great operation? Go to the next slide, if you will, brother. After the death of Alexander the Great, we had these four, and again, I'm, I'm sorry for the blurriness, but again, These are the four kingdoms, and we have to keep a watch on these because you have what you call the Ptolemy kingdom, which is where Cleopatra came, and and, uh, we are going to see some of that influence. And you also see what you call the Seleucid kingdom. This is the one that's going to become the greatest power. And so when the Lucid kingdom came in, you'll see that this is called the kingdom of the north, and this one is called the kingdom of the south. There's very little attention that's ever paid to these because quite literally, this one area called Seleucia. he would go into these two areas. Finally, we have the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, which is in the next slide, we'll see if we can get over there real quick, encompassed all of this. See what I'm telling you? How much greater, how much larger? So not only do you have the influences of the Babylonian uh, kingdom, and the influences that you've seen with the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire, But now you have what we call the Roman Empire as well that would go into every area. And it all was built one upon the other. So in Daniel chapter 11, we should be able to see this. Look at verse 2. And now, well, if you will, the Greece land see, Alexander the Great, like all of our students, was a student that was taught the history, the truth, and everything that goes on uh, with the great powers that be. Uh, how many of us have ever seen the movie 300 or, or things of that nature, which uh, it goes into the, the Great Stand, and I'm talking, I love the older black and white movies because they seem to really give you more significance of what goes on. But because of the narrowness of the past, because they were able to withstood a much greater army, you know, 300 men literally gave their lives to protect what they would call the northern part of uh, Greece. But further down the road, we begin to see even more of a challenge that occurred. And so... After you begin to see more ruthlessness and more greed and more things of this nature, and whenever you have this situation, that's what's going to occur. And look at verse 3. And a mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the north, the four winds of heaven and not his prosperity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom, shall be plucked up, even for others beside those. So once again, after the four primary kings of the Medo-Persian empire will be the one that stood up. This is speaking of Alexander the Great and from Alexander the Great would be a breakdown of the, the individuals that would occur as well. Now, please understand this. There were so many things that I would recommend everyone become a Bible student. When you go back to the book of Ezra, this was at the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so when the decree was given to Ezra, you go build the temple. You go ahead. You have the right. You go build the temple. So when that came forth, he went willingly, he went with a great desire of heart, and he rebuilt the temple. Now, mind you, there were some requirements to finish it up during the days of Nehemiah.
1: But later on,
0: we see that Nehemiah rose upon the scene. And when Nehemiah came upon the scene, the same thing had occurred. Most people don't realize that Ahasuerus and Esther was on the scene. There's no mistake of the order of the Old Testament. Because the order of the Old Testament helps us to understand not only after the kings and the separation and the fall into the Babylonian Empire, but the restoration is found in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so you find all of these things that are there. I would highly recommend that we become biblical students so that we can understand not only the history, but what the people went through. You know, one of the areas that I look at, and and I want us to think about this from our own point of view, because quite literally, when it comes to history we should divide ourselves to understand it all. But during the time that we are living, we are existing not because of our forefathers but because of who we are today now let me let this sink in a minute we are existing not because of our forefathers but who we are today now i understand that there's a lot more age that is involved with this including yours truly but the thing is as i grow older i have a greater desire for the things of god I have a greater desire, and I don't have nearly all the other passions that I had. I mean, let's put it this way. Every one of us, when we were younger, had passions. We had passions for family, how many kids we were going to have, we wanted to get married and things of this nature. We had passions for our environment or our workload or vocation, we wanted to get started with that. Most of us wanted to have some living. We wanted to have a house, we wanted to have a farm, we wanted to have, Land. We wanted to have cars. We wanted, didn't we want all of those things? So we, all of these things begin to fall in line. And I wonder how many of us have ever questioned, what does God want for us? Now, we're going to get into that as we take a look at our Father's Day service today. But the thing is, now that we're older and we have gathered all these things, it is even more required of us to take a look at what God wants for us in our lives. What we don't see here, now I want you to get this, what we don't understand is that while Daniel is doing everything in his power to understand these things, God is already telling him what his plan is. It's God's plan. And God's plan was to bring in the Mede Persians. It was God's plan to bring in Greece. It was God's plan to bring in the four kings. That would come out of the Grecian Empire. It was God's plan to bring in the Roman Empire. Then Messiah would come. Now, come on, let that sink in. Then Messiah would come. So, if we want to back up, go all the way back to that original slide, if you will, Brother Joe, that shows the timeline. And if we go back to that original timeline, all of this was in the product of what God had in store. It's hard to imagine that a simple timeline would take years and years for us to understand. That's why when I take a look at the the 50 or the 70 weeks that are determined right in this particular area, it is amazing to me. There is a lot that has to happen. What does it say? There were 7 weeks, 49 years to complete the building of Jerusalem. 49 years exactly to rebuild Jerusalem. Today, with our modern technology, we think it wouldn't take that long. But may I point this out to you, as I pointed out last week? After World War II, which ended in 1945, it took all the way up to 1980 to complete the rebuilding of Germany. That's a long time, even with money. It took a long time to rebuild Germany. I was in Germany when they declared that it was completely rebuilt. And then notice again, it says, then it would be from this completion point to the time Messiah the Prince would be cut off, another 62 weeks. It is amazing to me that after 483 years, from the time this prophecy was given or when it was going to start, it happened exactly as it said it was going to occur. Now, there's a lot that is here. The unrevealed gap of time. And a lot of people want to scoff at that gap of time. There's a lot of people that suddenly want to move this forward and say, it's already happened. I'm asking people. We know we can see it. We know. We see it. We know. kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south they're, those are all in the place in Daniel chapter 11 we see all about it but where did the antichrist come into place when did we see the last ruler come into place the reality is there's a lot of people that they are trying to understand the antichrist but they're not understanding the Christ now, I like what one man said. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. I'm looking for the coming of the Lord. I, too, am coming for the looking for the, the coming of the Lord. I hope and pray that be crazy, but I want the Lord to come back even today. Why? Because I'm ready to go home. That doesn't mean that it will be any easier upon this earth. Why we study Antichrist is that we might be able to teach it to others who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There was one person that talked to me and they said that their own son had gone through some real difficulty because the teacher said, oh, you don't want to be living, you don't want to be aware of Antichrist. We don't have that choice. We don't have that choice. We, if we truly believe in that salvation belongs to the Lord, if we really believe that, then we, we know this and we trust that the Lord is going to save whom he will save, then the Lord shall appear. Now that's, that can be kind of scary. But the reality is, go in and tell someone about Jesus Christ. And how many may ignore you? They either ignore you because they believe that you're teaching them some sort of, fancy, of fantasy. Maybe they're they're hooked on mystic. There was a man who one time who made the comment. He says, "I have studied the Black Bible, meaning the the Satanic Bible, and all of these other things that are happening right now. It's all." Someone made this statement. He goes, "Isn't it interesting?" that you believe who, someone who wants to destroy the entire earth and yet he says he's there for good why would you want to study Satan who is evil who is wicked and everything he says is evil and wicked why would you want to hold him to him? instead of believing? because it's easier to believe a lie and to be deceived than to know the truth The reality is, when we take a look at all of these things, there should be an understanding of the coming of the Lord. I want you to see something that's very precious. Let's go to the book of uh, Jeremiah. And we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, and I want us to go to chapter 25. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 25, I want to show you just how careful the Lord is with his words. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 25. And let's go down to verse 11. And this whole land shall be desolate, or shall be a desolation, and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass, when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make a perpetual desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my wounds, which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations." For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Now, one of the things that God promised at the end of 70 years, there would be a heart given not to all the Jews, but to certain Jews to return the land. Now this is what amazed me. Just bear with me. How many Jews, pure Jews, Jewish people, are still alive today? Now you would think from the time of Abraham that there would be millions upon millions of Jews in every segment and every quarter. Do you realize that there's only 17 and a half million Jews that profess that they are of the pure Jewish line? I want to show you something else that's very interesting, and I showed this to you last week. Let's go, well, let's go first of all, 2 Chronicles. I want to go backwards again. 2 Chronicles. And let's go to chapter 36, which is the end of the 2 Chronicles. And let's go to verse 21. Look what it says. To, fill the word of the, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. That's the 70 years. If you want to make reference to uh, Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 11, you can do so right here in your columns. For as long as she lay desolate, she, keep, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Now, in the first year of Sirius, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Sirius, king of Persia, that he, uh, that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and yet put it in writing, saying, This said Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, in Judah, who is there among you of all his people, the Lord his God, and let him go up. Now that was the decree. Watch this. Let's go to the book of Ezra. Let's go to the book of Ezra. And chapter 1, once again. And in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, notice what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, once again, isn't it amazing? It's always fulfillment. It's always fulfillment. It's always fulfillment. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he make a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in his writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all. And made and, ha, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem which is in Judea. Who is there among you all his people, his God, and build the house of the Lord, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now isn't that amazing? So you conclude with 2 Chronicles chapters 36. You open up the very next page, which is in Ezra chapter 1, and it's a continuation. Wait a minute, but there's more. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, and let's go to chapter 11. I showed this to you last week, but I want you to see it again. Nehemiah chapter 11. Remember, it was always, the question is, who has the heart for it? And Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1, And it says, And the rulers of the people dwelled at Jerusalem, and the rest of the people also cast lots, um, to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now, again, This is the hallmark of everything that we see. The willingness of heart, the willingness of heart, the willingness of heart. So when I take a look at the history of Israel, now understand this. Israel ceased to exist. You had Israel in Germany, Poland, Russia, America, and other parts of the world. You had the Jews that were scattered basically to the four winds. But they remain to themselves the contribution of the of the Israelites, the Jewish people to America. Do you realize there's more Nobel Prize winners out of the Jews than there is any other group of people? There are more. I understand that, and there again, it's those that call themselves Jews that are not Jews at all. But the reality is, is we see this each and every day. But those that have a pure, after the destruction of Israel in 70 A.D., and the scattering of Israel, you know, to the four winds, that there remained a silence until the 1880s. 1880s, that's nearly 2,000 years. And one man decided to re-resurrect the Jewish language. Can you imagine trying to re-resurrect English? First of all, I tell people this all the time. What English are you going to resurrect? You know here in America we have like a dozen English languages? You got the New England you got the New England English. What a pocket cough or a dollar. All right. You have the Southern English. Which, I, this is no joke, many years ago I lived in, uh, up around Panama City, Florida, and I needed a hammer. And everyone knows what a hammer is, right? I went to my neighbor who lived behind, me. he was 80 years of age, and I said, excuse me, sir, can I borrow a hammer? He said, what, son? I said, can I borrow a hammer? I, man, I'm thinking, you know, did I speak a foreign language or something like that? He goes, I, I don't understand a word you're saying. And I thought to myself for a second, I said, do you have a hammer? He said, well, yes, I have a hammer. What do you want? Hammer claw, hammer, sledgehammer. You tell me, I've got a hammer. And it was all in the pronunciation. One word. Then we have the the, the Midwest language. You know, I've had people look at me and they said, what's that? I said, that's five. No, that's five. I thought I said five. No, it's because the slang. And we can go to gnarly Dude all the way out in California, and it's totally different. We also have the Hawaiian language, we have the Alaskan language. Why is it that we see so much difference and then people are wanting a new Word of God in their language? How many of you all know the NIV is written in several, multiple English languages? You have the Australian English, you have the South African English, you have the pure English, you have American English, Why is it that it's there? Because we are already divided amongst what we believe and know. And yet here God saw fit to bring and to liven up the Jewish language and it remains to this day. What we know is not the Old Testament Jews Jewish language. It's what we know today. And the beauty of it is that became a requirement by the English people who controlled Palestine to say before Israel can enter the land they have to have their own language. And they had it. How many of you all knew that? Go, go read the history. But I love what one person said and we'll conclude with this. One of the things they stated that was so clear to me was that they said, the reason we study prophecy now is to prove the prophecy of Christ then. Boy, I love that, don't you? When we read the prophecies that are in Daniel 11, that are in Revelation, that are in Zechariah and throughout the Old Testament, when we read that, do you realize it's to prove that Jesus is true And because he fulfilled all the prophecies concerning himself, we have confidence in what he says about things to come. Amen. Isn't that great? That is so good. All right, we're going to be dismissed in a final word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for your mercies and your truth. Go with us now, we pray thee. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.